Welcome to the Spire Director's Commentary Podcast, recorded by Grant Howitt and Chris Taylor. Following our successful Kickstarter campaign, we agreed to record commentary for each chapter of the Spire RPG, a fantasy punk game about insurrection, oppression, and horror, and release it to our backers. We wanted to talk about the decisions that led us to design Spire the way we did and show our working as best as possible. What you are about to listen to is a podcast made up of those files, arranged into blocks an hour or so long. We encourage you to start from episode one and move forward from there. In this episode, we cover the book's introduction, the base elements of the setting, the core mechanics that power the game, and the skills and domain system. Hello and welcome to Spire. This is an audio commentary recorded by me, Grant Howitt, and my co-author, Christopher Taylor. Say hello, Chris. Hello. Uh, we are looking to talk uh, talk a little bit about the design decisions that we made in the in writing the book. So hopefully, like, if you're if you're a fan of the book, you can sort of get some insight on why we did the things we did, uh, and also just because I think this is mainly a self indulgent process, isn't it? And you know, there's an element of read along with mother. Yes, um, we're hoping to do this. Um, like we'd planned to do um, the Unbound. Uh, so our previous Kickstarter, we planned to do Unbound. Have the audio commentary for that as a chapter by chapter thing that very quickly fell by the wayside when we realised how boring the later chapters would be. <laughs> um, so we um, we stopped doing that. Instead, did it as, a, as an audio interview. But this time, we reckon the book's good enough to, to warrant. <laughs> the last book was good, but this one yeah. has very interesting later chapters. Yes, certainly, and it, I think this has enough for an actual audio commentary. And so, um, we are going to start. We are um, from from the second episode of this, or the second part of this. We're going to we, we're going to go along chapter by chapter in the book and see uh, and, and and talk about maybe not page by page, but simply talk about the concepts which we've outlined, so you can read along with mother. Or read along with daddies. Read along with daddies, that's the one. Read along with daddy. Um. (laughs) (coughs) The other thing I'd like you, the listener, to know is that Chris and I are both ill. We are, uh, we're recording this in January. Uh, We both picked up festive colds. And uh, we are, I think we're both in recovery, but we're still having a big proper cough every now and again. So if we sound a bit ill, that's why. We'll do our best to, to edit it out and make it sound super smooth. But our apologies if, if that doesn't work. So the first thing I'd like to talk about on this is the, the concept of Spire itself and where Spire arose from. Uh, and so Spire began life as a, as a dark heresy hack. Many moons ago, uh, when I was living in Australia, probably be about four years ago, five years ago, I was interested in fixing Dark Heresy, which is a Warhammer role-playing game, it's a Warhammer 40k role-playing game, where you play Agents of the Inquisition. And I thought that, I really liked the setting, uh, Chris and I are both fans of the 40k setting, but it didn't quite work for us from a rule standpoint. Well, for me, certainly, it was too percentile Yeah, there's, there's too many rules going on all over uh, the place. There are a lot of rules going on, but also it didn't. For me, it didn't tell the story of the Inquisition, which is what I wanted. To, I wanted to like to, to tell stories about loss and giving up things and um, betraying people and that sort of stuff. And it, it never really did that. Uh, and so that developed into something I call Shadow War, um, which never saw the light of day, mainly for copyright issues. <laughs> um, like because they uh, made their own Shadow War. Yeah, they made their own game called Shadow War, but also um, I don't think Games Workshop would have taken too kindly to me even filing the serial numbers off the, I suppose you'd call it the uh, Blimperium. <laughs> the Blimperion of Man. The Empress Silver. sits upon the Silver Throne, guiding ships through the Bemperium with the Bastronomicon. <laughs> It's a very bee-centric culture. Yeah, very, there's a lot of bees. That's the, that's the other change we've made. Uh, and so that, I never really saw the light of day. And then we did Unbound, and I was interested in what the next project was going to be. Chris wasn't having a great time with things um, at, that, at that stage in his life. And so I, I decided that I'd sort of focus on this on my own and go ahead. And just sort of push on it on, on my head. Like, rather than trying to strong-arm Chris into writing a game he wasn't hugely interested in. And so I, uh, was, I was thinking about other settings, and one of the settings I had was dark elves, and like dark elves living in this, li- living in a situation where dark elves weren't respected. 
because I've been interested in Dark Elves for a long time and also interested in telling those stories and about like cult- like culture clash and racial tensions within fantasy worlds and how to explore that in ways which aren't just outright war. Yeah. And also which aren't just your stereotypical racist elves, which are really boring to have in a group where no one else is really racist. Yeah, and it's, it's weird to roleplay as a racist. Oh, I know, right. Uh, I, I, well, I don't think we can trust an orc with this. Come on, dude, really? I reckon we probably can. That's that. That's a that's a choice you made for a player character. You want to be an asshole? Yeah, well, uh, well, all elves are assholes. Yeah, okay, sure, but you're one of them. Anyway, um, so we want to try and move past that a little bit. Um, and so I started designing Spire, and it was either called Spire or Spindle was the other name I had for it. And I decided that what I wanted to do was have a game where you played nicely dressed dark elves doing mysterious shit. It was mainly a fashion game. It was like, honestly, there was a lot of fashion in the first draft. And so I was like, I want them to have big, big, like, broad hats and long cloaks and coats <laughs> and dark shades and stuff. And basically look a bit like Vampire Hunter D uh, from the 1991 anime of the same title. Um, pro tip, don't go back and watch it. <laughs> don't do that. Up. There's a robot horse in it for reasons I can't quite determine. Anywho, yeah. the, um, yeah, uh, it's intelligent, I think. No, his hands and his hand talks to him. Anyway, the um, that then developed into sort of like how how I'd make Spire how how I'd make Spire function as a game and how like and how the world would work. And pretty quickly on in the process, I brought Chris on board. Uh, this right. is this this is before we were a company. Uh, so this was back when we were still sort of tilting at this freelance. And I decided that it was too much for me to do on my own. Not that I wouldn't end up writing every word in the book, but having an out brain, having a second brain to handle the uh, the, the the weight of the setting and the rules, yeah. seemed like a good idea. Also, I love Chris and want to do things with him. <laughs> so then I hired Chris. I say hired Chris. I bought Chris on board. You know, it's a partnership. It's egalitarian, and we decided that we would start doing Spire together. And at that point, it was it was an espionage game. Which was the it main was, difference. It was Spycraft. It was Spycraft. And so I did a lot of research around Spycraft and around cells and around other... I say a lot of research. I think I read two spy role-playing games. I'm not going to read actual Spycraft books. No, I, I don't believe in doing research. That's what you're for. <laughs> you, you have the sort of brain which doesn't just sort of slip off the third paragraph of an article. No, which I like. Make a note of it. Yeah, make, make a note, which is always good. And so... Um, we weren't sure what the espionage was for or who you were working for. It didn't quite ring true. And then Chris had this great idea about revolution. And so I'm going to hand over to Chris now to talk about revolution. Because <laughs> so, I've been yeah, talking for the last half an hour. That is fun. The, the problem with it being as a, a spy game is that we didn't really have uh, an antagonist faction. No. We didn't have any pushback against that, aside from just going, well, there's other Dark Elves and they're very spooky too. Yeah, there, there wasn't a. Um, there weren't <coughs> other spies. Yeah, there was just there was just you, um, and then that, aside from the odd bit of industrial espionage, there wasn't mm. actually that much <coughs> happening. No. So when we hit upon the idea of shifting it to uh, a rebellion revolution mm. game, that suddenly we got the antagonist built in. Yeah. With the, like, with the Elphir. Well, like we already had the Elphir there. But they weren't, like, the war against them wasn't so... It didn't quite feel so important. It was yeah. more like, like we're going to do these things and then we're going to basically bother the Elphir and steal from them rather than we're going to take the city back by force. But not war. We're going to do it through subterfuge. And so, like, we kept the ideas of the espionage and of subterfuge and of functioning under the radar because you are operating as... It's more of a paramilitary cell, I think. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's that underground... Yeah, rebellion rather than uh, protests in the streets. Yeah, and like, and I think like protests in the streets is the natural endpoint of a spire campaign. Yeah, but we we want to detail with a bit where like you're being stamped down upon, and so you're you're pushing back against that because it's an interesting story and not one that we'd seen told in really role playing games. Yeah, and in in a lot of our playtesting, the games do end in riots. Uh, almost every single one ends in a riot. Yeah, um, I think that's because you and I like riots. Yeah. And plus, like, we're, we play it pretty fast and loose, and sort of like, yeah, why not? 
So whatever players ask, as long as it's moderately reasonable, we'll let them get away with it. And riots are a really easy thing to enjoy. I mean, shit, like, I think at least one of the characters we've got... Oh, sorry, there will be swearing in this. Uh, at least <laughs> at, at least one of the characters we've got um, has create riot once a session power. Yeah, and at higher levels, be a riot. Yes, become riot. Um, so that's, that's kind of fun. Um, and we developed it out. We... We'd not really taken a turn at doing a serious world before. No, because we did Unbound, yeah. um, which was a generic RPG. Universal. Universal, yes. Generic <coughs> does, does sound bad. It's a bit pejorative. Yeah. Um, and we wanted to do something with a more clearly defined setting. We still didn't want to go all the way with defining the setting. We've gone pretty far. Yeah, but that's but a big thing is that we don't, go to like the timetables of trains level <coughs> no certainly not so that it's usable and interesting mm. rather than <coughs> grinding down into the tiny details well we wanted to write from a story focus first yeah. and the idea that you like we give you a hook that you can explore the idea that uh, i think the idea of spires as well is that it will change like you will change the city through play, and so what we wanted to write was something which, with like the start of something, which then you change and build your yeah. own, and oh, it goes it's off and does itself. Yeah. Um, and that's like then that, that's how like you level up by changing um, your you level up by changing the city and changing the world around it, which was a playtesting. It's something which arose out of playtesting by one of my playtesters, a woman called Lisa Trot, who I am incredibly thankful for for basically <laughs> making Spire work. Who solved the problem <laughs> for some reason we couldn't. Yeah, uh, so that, that that was really neat, uh, and so we wanted to have a fantasy city which felt like it was changing, and to give players and GMs the license to change it and the license to make it their own. And like, it's interesting reading about Blood and Dust, um, which was the uh, the sample uh, adventure which we set, which we gave out to um, Kickstarter backers. Um, that was how people are already changing it. So, like, um, one of the characters... Uh, one of the upgrades for one of the characters is you can get a rowboat. Which is a bit daft. It but is you, a bit daft. But, but you also get, like, a reputation. Yeah. Um, and and a you, title. And a title, yeah. You're a knight admiral at that point. And um, the GM at that point was like, well, there's going to be rivers fucking everywhere now because I want them to, I want them to take the boat to things. Yeah. And so they've started taking the and, and like so they've got underground rivers going through things and that and that and like and and, and similarly another another person was saying how like, oh like when I run Spire um, there are giant carp in the in the in the rivers alongside and like and the, and the drow ride them I'm like fuck it all right sure whatever yeah, sounds good no, yeah I, honestly I wish I'd had that idea that sounds great and we so like I I think for me. Um, in between writing Unbound and writing Spire, I went on. This is going to sound really fucking wanky. I went on. I went on a, on a creative retreat to Costa Rica. <laughs> <coughs> sounds super wanky. Yeah. It does. And so, like one thing, I should say, pay, I, I I paid for my plane tickets. I want to say it wasn't like it wasn't all it wasn't all expenses paid. Like I paid for my plane tickets, paid for my travel, and they paid for the hotel room and the food and stuff. But it was a it was a um, it's a yearly um, retreat, I suppose, called Forward Slash Story. It's run by uh, Christy Denner and Lance uh, Weller. Weller, I don't know how his surname is pronounced, but his first name's Lance. That's all you need, really, isn't it? Yeah. And it was a it was. What we did there was incredibly obfuscated, and we're encouraged not to discuss it with the outside world. <laughs> I think you joined a cult, mate. Sorry, I think you joined a cult. It was fucking culty from the outside. Inside, basically, basically what we did. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna part the kimono a little bit. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna pull back the curtain. We just sort of hung out and talked about what we did for a while, and in in a place where we didn't have to worry about. Um, our work calling us and having to do things, you know, like like yeah. we were like we were there just to be um, uh, separate. Uh, separate from normal life, and we had um, like 
wonderful surroundings and it was all like all, all, like our travel and stuff with our transport in in costa rica was covered and we just sort of got to be around other creative people for a while and for me certainly there was this question um and this is this, this is fairly this is fairly far off a chapter by chapter reading of spire so feel free to <laughs> skip to the next the next episode if you like but there was a section where um, like we were asking each other, why do we create? Why do we do what we do? And so someone said, well, it's for the love, isn't it? You know, we do it because we love people and we do it because we want to create things that are great in the world and share things with people. And I was like, oh, I do it because there's a howling void in my chest, which I need to fill. <laughs> I need to fill with the temporary praise of my peers. And that was kind of an eye opener for me. And I think I was creating for the wrong reasons. Um and if you look at my work up until Spire, there was very much the idea of I kept everything at arm's length. I described everything in very vague terms, and we kept the we like we like fuck. I mean, Unbound doesn't have a setting because I think I was scared of putting one forward. Well, also we were trying to make um, a system where you generate the setting as you yeah. Can. And I will say, like, it's cracking for doing that. Yeah. It's it's like it's it, as, as far as as far as the actual play systems go, it's fine. I'm happy with it. But the but the whole world creation bit and that reflection of the characters, I'm really proud of what we managed to do there. I think that's beautiful, and I think that, I think I think it does it better than a lot than any other game. It doesn't do everything better than every other game, but it does that session zero really well, and I'm really proud of that. Yeah, for sure. Um, but now doing Spire, um, there was this there was this sensation that I wanted to share something with the world, and I felt comfortable enough in my own abilities um, to say, hey, here's my world. Here's here's what I think is interesting. Here's my 12th level paladin, as it were. Uh, here's the special world that I've made with my friend Chris. Elves, right? In this one, they wear trousers. Oh, how fascinating. And then I rolled a five, and he rolled a six. Hello, Calais. Yeah. So there was, there's, I mean, as you can tell from my ironic detachment, there's still some fear over telling people stories rather yeah. than making them make their own. Well, so letting them make their own. Um, but I, oh, I'm dropping my glasses. Hang on. I think we've done something really cool with Spire. I think we've taken fantasy and we've put our own spin on it. And it's obviously it's not unique. Like we've drawn on a lot of other, um, we've drawn a lot of sources of inspiration. But I think we've come up with something which is really cool. What yeah. What were your biggest sources of inspiration, Spire, Chris? Source of inspiration. I mean, a lot of it. What, is what, where of... did you steal Spire from? <laughs> a lot of it was the kind of books I read as a child. Oh yeah. The the Gormenghast mm. end of the spectrum. Um, big creepy uh, city. Big creepy city, uh, but also those sorts of sort of mini TV series that cropped up around that time. Oh. Right. Um there was one called Cold Train. Right. Which is um an odd post apocalyptic British T V show. Mm. Which was very much ahead of its time. Right. In that in that it was you know, it wasn't on super late and it had a crucifixion on screen. Oh, dumb. Fantastic. Yeah. Mm. Um but I drew a lot from series like that, those sorts of dire desperate times yeah and also like closed narratives as well mm. in terms of like this is what the story is about and it's not like game of thrones where it's about it's it, like there are five stories going on at any point and we focus on it on, it, on any given one it's like it's about this group of people yes and telling the story to them and yeah. what is interesting here yeah which is, and I, I, I quite prefer telling stories in that way myself actually I find it's a bit more satisfying from the scope of role playing Terms. It's quite difficult to do your big Game of Thrones, you know, ten-year campaigns. Yeah, and one of the big issues with with something like the Game of Thrones style is that there's mm. so many implications to every action. Yeah, and plus they have like teams of writers. Yeah, they do have teams of writers and actors rather than just some spots who've come over to my house who are making it up. And we're all making it up as we go along. Yeah, but with 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 Spy and with that closed network, mm. you 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 know all the different vari- variable factors. Yeah. And you know how it will affect them equally, so it's a lot mm. easier to run. I think. Uh, also, the other thing I remember you saying, telling me about a um, a magic system which had different magic for men and women. 
um, and like weavers and destroyers or something. Oh, is the it? Wheel of Time. Wheel of Time. I remember, yeah. like, because I, I haven't read it, but like looking at the way in which we've treated magic in Spire, and like the way that there's something inherently destructive about it. Yeah, there's something corrupting yeah. about it. Yeah, uh, so the Wheel of Time has has a magic system which is split by the genders. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the male, <coughs> that again. The male half is a, is a sort of tainted magic mm. that hurts you to use it, and the female half is a clean version that's mm. fine to use. It's kind of what we did with uh, Blood Witches. Yeah, exactly. Which, which um, we'll get to in a bit. Yeah. But also the way that we split divine and occult casting. Mm. Um, there's like there's a clean, sanitized version of magic, yeah. and there's an avant-garde version of magic where you're on yeah. the edge. Which and like and like and then like uh, arcane and divine uh, spellcasting is obviously from Dungeons and Dragons. It's uh, you know, that's kind of where we got it from and where where one one of the originators of the idea. Um, I, I honestly I don't know what the originator. I'm sure it comes from a book somewhere. Oh, I don't know what yeah. that is. Um, but there's there's no mechanical difference between the two aside from what spells you can pick if you worship a god as opposed to if you read books. And we wanted, I think, to underline the fact that I, I, I like the idea in like, Inspire that all magic is a cult. It's just some of it's really old, so it gets called religious. Yeah, and I mean that's a big decision that you can make as part of your campaign. Yeah, like, are the gods real? Yeah, or are yeah. they just, or are they just, you know, masks that we're putting on power? Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's and and like and like are, are demons real as well? You know, are demons just a form of god, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And like we we've, we've got our own theories for for how spy works. But what one of the very interesting things about writing it was in Unbound we didn't have a setting, so we didn't have to worry about canon. Yeah. Um, and uh, by which I mean obviously like canonical truth you know, rather than big guns. And the Inspire we've entered this really fascinating stage where. Whatever Chris and I say in Spire is canonical, but we can differ from each other. Yeah. And that's that's super fascinating because there's not one true method of Spire. And also, like, when we run games of Spire, our Spires are different. They're like, Very much so, like yeah. we're not running, like, off, off, the, off the verbatim Bible of Spire. You know, we've got our own thing. And so it's really interesting to create this world which is shared, and any answer we give, even if they're contradictory, are correct. <laughs> which I which I really like, and so it's been it's been fascinating. Um, but like the other thing is, so like we we do all we do all the writing together, or like I'll write it and Chris will give it the okay, and that means that we can understand what Spire is together, and we know what makes sense in fiction. And occasionally, one of us will be will say something like, right, "I'm going to try something here, and we'll see if it'll land." And sometimes it's a bit weird, and we'll we'll pull it back or we'll yeah, push it in a different um, direction. Yeah. No, that's a bit. That's a bit. Yeah, there are some. There are certain topics which had to be um, redacted, excised. Certain ideas I had which had to be excised from the final draft, and we'll yeah. maybe. Well, maybe maybe we'll talk about those later. Who knows? Maybe. But but it's been fascinating to have this just that level of trust, I suppose, with you in having we have built this world together, and we we are we are both the final authority. Yeah. On it, and as we work together, we've managed to improvise this world, and we can get a feeling for it and get an understanding of it, and that's really lovely to do. Yeah, it has been genuinely entertaining to read to, to write this book. Yeah, and also to read it honestly, like it's 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 nice to like, it's nice to go back and read it because um it's 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 nearly a hundred thousand words long, so I've forgotten most of it now. <laughs> yeah. And occasionally I look over stuff and go, oh, how clever of us! <laughs> oh, well done, well done us. Um, so I think I think we'll, um, we'll 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 cut this introduction here, and then the next audio file you have should be actually reading the book. So please grab your copy of Spire, or load up your copy of Spire, and scroll through to the bit which says "Welcome to Spire." Are you sitting comfortably? <laughs> Bums on seats, people. Come on. Bums on seats, eyes down. Let's get yeah. reading. This is serious now. Welcome to Spire. Welcome to Spire. Sit down. We're gonna do a we're gonna do a serious reading. So um let's let's read. Let's read the intro to here. This is Spire, a mile high city in the land of Destella, ruled by cruel high elves in which the drow, you and your family and your friends, have been oppressed for centuries. 
a nightmare warren of twisting passages and structures built and rebuilt atop itself, a city of a thousand gods, the furthest bastion of a terrible and burgeoning empire, a structure of unknown make that houses a blistering, rotten hole in reality at its centre, where the sane dare not tread. Sounds like a nice place for a holiday, doesn't it? Doesn't it? You, you know what we should have got? We should have got, um, like, 1920s uh, tourism posters done to the different districts. Oh, that would be lovely. That would look cracking. So, well, maybe, maybe we could do that. I don't know. We don't really have enough money left. <laughs> we have spent rather a lot of money on art already. Yes, we, yes that's true. Okay. Um, one thing I want to mention, actually, quite quickly off here, is the concept of the land of Destera. <laughs> Which came in real late. I think that's the last thing we added to the book. <laughs> yeah. We didn't name the area where Spire was. And Mary, our business partner, and my wife partner um said like sort of flag that to us at the very at, like, <laughs> at, at, like as, as we were putting the uh the manuscript over for, for layout we hadn't named where it was and we had to try and come up with a fantasy name for it and so we picked a uh, a a noble drow house uh yeah, from our them. list of drow houses and it turns out Destera was the one we hadn't really written anything about but it it came with some nice plot attached to it, so it worked out. What was that plot? Well, the the Desterans lost Spire mm. in the war, mm-hmm. um, and so their their house is now kind of looked down upon because it was them that lost Spire. Yeah, and we, we, so, so so like one of the interesting things about writing the um like the, the idea of drownability is the idea of drownability. I've always figured there's been drownability because I really like telling high society stories. I think they're fun. Yeah, or or stories which have the contrast of high and low society. And so I'd mentioned drowned nobles ever since like the first draft of what Spire could be. And then we were writing up the Vermissian Sage, who is a one of the character classes we'll get to later. And we had a we had a spell called Dynastic Memory, where they can channel the ancient bloodlines of the Drow. Which and so like we figured every Drow has some of an ancient bloodline in them, and they can they can channel that and get some sort of magic power off it. And so we had to name the Drow noble houses, and then we had to give them characters, and then we had to and then from that we did it, it, it started sort of what's the word spiraling yes. Spiraling uh-huh. out of that, and so now like they've all got their own characters. The Dry Noble Houses. Uh, the the first splat book we're writing after the Kickstarter is uh, is High Society, and we've done like quite a lot of detail. Not I say quite a lot of detail, a full paragraph on each. <laughs> but it's it, essentially it's entirely informed by one spell from one character. Yeah, and things just got out of hand. But it's 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 lovely to have it arise organically from that, rather than like sitting down and being okay. What are the noble houses? We were like, we need a noble house for every skill, so we can have a buff to skills. <laughs> <laughs> and things sort of arise, and like, and that, and like, it's not a buff to skills anymore. That's changed, and so the whole thing has kind of grown organically. And like, I think one of the scarier things about releasing the book is we have to sort of stop. Yeah, it's we have weird to not writing it. We have to cement it. Um, and like, we are we're doing not retconning, but we're doing some light exploration of stuff in the High Society book where we're taking things from the core book and exploring them to the point where we are sort of changing them. Yeah. Um, but I like the honestly, I like the idea that Spire is changing, and so when we write about it, that's what it's that's what it's like at time of writing, as it were. Yeah, I mean that's it's that's <coughs> one of its core themes is change. Yeah. So, so let's talk about let's talk about. Um, the the most important thing in Spire, which is I refuse to use the singular version of dice. Yeah, you'll notice that throughout the text, dear yeah. reader. We do not use the word die to refer to a single dice. We know it's correct. <laughs> but it just, like, no... I don't think I've ever said, hey, pa- pass me a die. I want to roll it to see what I get. It's always pass me that dice. Yep. And so that's just that's just a thing, and you can correct me as many times as you want. I just I refuse to accept it's not it. Going in, it is the hill on which I will dice. <laughs> <laughs> well played, thank you. Uh, so the the first chapter is kind of it's it's kind of an intro to the thing. It's just a a, a rough idea of hey, this is a role playing game. Uh, yeah. Which when like we put a very short idea in there, it's weird because like we figure like. Most role-playing games aren't going to be the first role-playing game you read. No. Just by by the law of um, 
probability you're going to read one and it's probably going to be Dungeons and Dragons or something along those lines. So I don't think you need a great deal of um, explaining what a role-playing game is. But one thing I did want to do is put in a right at the top being a player. Yes, your role as being a player. Because, and this is something which we focused on really heavily with Unbound as well, is how a lot of books are like, here's how to be a games master. And when it comes to being a player, it's just like, ah, just do what you feel. No. No, if anything, it's more difficult because you have, you have fewer tools. <laughs> <laughs> You've got less levers to push and more to do. Yeah. And so we wanted to like get right up at the front saying, uh, just, just like, um, it's your job to make a brilliant story full of ups and t- to help the games master and the other players make a brilliant story full of ups and downs. It's up to you to get your character into trouble and maybe out of trouble and tell an engaging story with the other players. And that, that I think was it was really important. We wanted to get that across. Like, it's just fuck up your character as much as you can, please. Yeah, just plunge him into danger. Yeah. And we go on to sort of just like say how we differ, how, how we differentiate um, our fantasy from the other one. So I think this is a this is actually a really important section of the book. Mm, please talk about it. Um, I mean, it's summed up beautifully by its headlines, and it, the headlines describe Spire really succinctly. Mm. Magic is hard. Mm-hmm. Magic items are rare. Mm-hmm. We're not off to the wilderness. There's no morality system, and there aren't any monsters. I think the last one's really important. Yeah, well, but just running down, like magic, mm. and the, the two magic ones. Magic, magic items are rare, incredibly rare. One of the things which people have said when they've read Spire is that it feels cyberpunk. Yeah. And I think we wanted to take religion and magic as a form of... So we called it fantasy punk in the Kickstarter. And so we take traditional fantasy tropes and then give them to wealthy people. And your game and the game is about wrenching them off them. So, yeah. like, high elves have a lot of magic items around them. Like, they treat them as, like, rather than plus one swords, we're talking, like, central heating or central cooling. In the in, in the high elves, but they're hard and magic is they're they're hard to get and you sure as shit can't make them. They're kind of they're naturally occurring in other places. Yeah, and we wanted it to be something which you have to steal. Yeah, which which automatically gives you plots if you want it. Go on with magic is hard. Sorry, um, we wanted magic to be interesting and costly. Mm. Like one of the things I always loved about uh, BRP was its Call of Cthulhu magic system. Mm. Where you end up losing hit points, and your your physical appearance can go down, and every spell costs you something big. Yeah. So we we boiled that down into the current casting system. But magic is hard. Magic is taxing on a body. Yeah, there's no free spells, as it were. You yeah. can't you, you can't memorize spells and then oh I'm out of spells. So you can keep pushing yourself as far as you want, but you will die. Yeah, exactly. Or like you will go broke. You will get found out. And that's kind of key to to spire really. Mm. Very much so. And the next one, like, we're not off to the wilderness. This is... Mm. Spire itself is an urban campaign. It's not Points of Light. I, I, think, I, I love Points of Light as a setting. I think it's really fun. Yeah. But it's not that. But it's in one mammoth city. Yeah. We say mile high. I don't know how big Spire is. It's, it's, a, lot, it's a lot bigger than a mile. Yeah. It's absurdly tall. To like, uh, I think, like, like, also we acknowledge that Spire should not exist even within our world with magic in. Yes. It's like that spire doesn't make physical sense, and it's a bit like bees flying. <laughs> Please <laughs> yeah. don't look too hard at spire; or it will fall over. And 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 so, like at the centre of it, we have the heart, which is the which is our our big hole that weird stuff comes out of because we like El- eldritch horror. And also, like the, there's also like a traditional idea that the deeper you go into somewhere, the weirder it becomes. You yeah, know, like the heart of darkness, that sort of thing. Like Further the more, down the dungeon levels, the more uncanny, the more the more away you get from light and civilization, the place you know, the stranger it becomes. And we wanted to put that in the middle of the city rather than somewhere distant. So, 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 so basically, it can always and then and then we punctured it with a with an underground train network. So basically, we can always have something horrendous shamble out yeah. of a corridor. Go on. Um, the, the next system. one is there's no morality system. <laughs> we don't have chaotic good, lawful evil. I don't think I don't think most people use that these days. Anymore, no, I know they don't use it, but also it's an interesting point to explicitly make. Mm. 
because you're going to be killing some good people for good reasons. Yeah, you are, in a way, the baddies. Yeah, like, it's all about what, how far you're willing to go to mm. get a job done. And without a morality system, there's no hard and fast way of going, well, that person's lawful good. Yeah. And, like, it seems a bit edgy, you know? A bit sort of, like, oh, well, you know, it's, it's, it's all shades of grey, man. And it's like... I think I think it, there there is a level of edge to it, but also like those are the stories I'm interested in telling. Yeah, like, also, well, why are you doing that? Why are you is doing shades of grey. Yes, everything is shades of grey in in real life, and I think that like in 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 your Dungeons and Dragons, it's really fun to be sort of no, we're, we are noble warriors for good, and we're going to go and do good. Um, and there's and there's kind of like there's a there's a security in that. There's a security in never examining what lawful good means. <laughs> never really break that down. <laughs> because lawful good means in accordance with the state. Yes. <laughs> and that's like, that's like you can have you, you can do some reprehensible things and have them still be lawful good because you've done it versus an orc. Um, the other thing which I want to, which, the thing which I really want to underline is there aren't any monsters. We said that I, I said that there'd be something shambling out of a cupboard because we had the train line pierce the heart. The idea is that everything in Spire was a person. Yes. Um, and Or is a person. And, like, one thing which we've been really keen to do when we're doing published adventures uh, and when, when, when we're telling our stories, it's not like, oh, there's a big nasty demon that's in charge or, oh, it's orcs and orcs are chaotic evil. No, they're all just people. And they're people you hate and they're people who would, who would have you ground into the dirt. But everyone's a person. Yeah. And at the end, like, most Spire campaigns end with you... Killing a normal person, yes. Just, just unlike, unlike they do extraordinary things. But once you hit the end of the conspiracy, there's just a person who you can strangle. Yeah, and I mean, interestingly, like it's not that person that you strangle isn't a twentieth level archmage. No, they're just a person generally with more political clout than you. Yeah, and more money. Yeah, like they have, they have more money and resources, and it's it's about overcoming that. And like we have, we have blood witches, I think, which is the one of the player classes from one of the splat books, and that they are sort of hovering zoetrope nightmares, um, who can do who do things like warp the land around them because of the blood magic they've picked up. But they're people, yeah, and, um, and they they look normal most of the time, yeah. And I think one of the things which always bothered me about about your traditional um, Dungeons and Dragons and your traditional fantasy is that you say there are monsters, but these are people with cultures. Um, orcs have art. Orcs have cultures. Orcs have you know cuisine. Yeah. Um, and just because it's different from the norm, they're defined. They're, they're defined as lawful, as, as 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 lawful as, as chaotic evil. And like they go on to say that evil people do things for their own good above the good of others and like in in that st- like capitalism is not therefore good <laughs> capitalism is capitalism is self-interested uh primarily it's 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 about making sure you're okay before you know put on your own gas mask before you fit one to your child that sort of thing and there's nothing inherently good about that and dungeons and dragons runs in a, either a feudalist or capitalist society neither of which are good and so it's it's interesting to see, and the orcs orcs look out for each other. Yeah, I mean they 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 have a, a coherent culture. Yeah, and it's very 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 difficult to do if you're chaotic. Yeah, like I could argue that rats are monsters, and that rats don't have a culture. Rats aren't intelligent in the same way that sapient being uh, uh, sentient beings are. Sorry, sapient beings are like orcs, humans, elves, that sort of thing. And so, basically, if you take the idea of rats and scale those up, then you can get, you know, big fucking monsters, and that's fine. But we... I think we've got big spiders. We have big spiders. Um, There are a couple of monsters. Ghost plagues. Yeah, but they're... But made of people. (laughs) Yeah, but they're few and far between. Yeah. And it's generally because a human's done something stupid. Yeah, I've certainly not used one in a game, I don't think. Uh, Ghouls as well, but again, monsters. Humans. Yeah, humans. Humans, or humans, or people rather than humans, as it were. Yeah. Uh, it's been very interesting trying to write around a game where you do not play human characters, but you play people. Yeah, for sure. That's always pretty pretty challenging. The um, I think uh, we'll, we're about to wrap up on this chapter, but the uh, the last thing we do here is, is kind of an overview of the idea of stress. Uh, should we save that for the stress chapter? I think we should, actually. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, let's wrap up this chapter and we'll... Um, Come back to you with the next one. Come back to you in the next one. Goodbye.
Now, we're going to move on to the rules in this one. So if you turn to page 9... Uh, we hope. Right. I, I, I assume page 9 of the book, we're going off the uh, the last but one proofs of the book. So hopefully we should be fine. But yeah. if it's not page 9, the bit that says the rules in big letters on the top... Super easy to find. You're going to hang around. Yeah. And we are going to reach... We're going to discuss the core mechanic, which is the beating heart of Spire. Actually, the beating heart of Spire is the, the heart. heart. Yeah. Or, or the works, I guess. But point is, mechanically, this is this this is what makes Spire work. Yeah. This is our fifteenth or sixteenth attempt at making a core mechanic. We make a lot of core mechanics. It came down to we had at the end we had a D twenty system with uh, with roll for defense against um, your resistances. Mm-hmm. And we had, uh, but but that, that kind of had a. They got a bit tricky because you only roll for defense if you failed the initial roll. Yeah, it just didn't. It just didn't work. Like you'd, you'd fail a stealth check, and then you'd have to roll against your shadow to see if if that caused problems. And like the story ticked forward, it was okay, but it wasn't really rules informing setting, setting informing rules. No, and so um, I, I I ran a couple of sessions of that. It wasn't quite seeing for me. I sat down and came up with this core mechanic on a train, I believe, um, and it's what's endured. It's tremendously straightforward. It's not too dissimilar from Apocalypse World, except it doesn't use the same dice or rules, <laughs> and it's. It still plays right into my weird number blindness sometimes, where I, I, for some reason, I cannot remember this table. I have problems myself. It's, uh, <laughs> eight is good. Eight up is good. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, and, and, and I'm sure of that. And I think, well, I should probably still check the table. Yeah. <laughs> the core mechanic of Spire is you grab a dice or more. It has that. It has a rather unintuitive Grant Howitt rule in it, which I don't like. Um, which is you always roll one dice and then your skills and domains add dice on top of that. Yeah. And people still struggle with that. Um, they struggle to remember that you roll one dice. They'll just roll a dice for their skill and their domain. Um, and like that's, I think that's because it's it, it evokes World of Darkness uh, yeah. and having like a stat plus skill. Uh, whereas ours are more, you know, ours are just boosting that, that, that single dice you roll. Anyway, you roll between one and four dice. Um, I think... There's, I think there's one dice. There's one power that lets you roll five dice. Yeah, it, do, think, it does think, crop up, uh, but it's very rare. Um, generally, you're rolling about two or three. Um, you you pick the highest, and then you consult this table. And the core mechanic uh, fo- runs off something called stress. Well, also, also as it turns out, Blades in the Dark runs off stress. Chris, oh, good. I'll be honest with you. I hadn't read Blades in the Dark before I wrote this game. <laughs> No, I started playing it, uh, I had an online game of it after mm. we'd finished it and after we'd done all the Kickstarter and everything like mm. that, and I played it like, oh, they use some very similar words to us, don't they? Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, it's it's a fantastic game, beautifully done as well. John They're Hopper very different games, I'd like to point one out. One of my fantastic... John Upper is one of my favourite game designers. Um, they are very different games, um, although they both deal with cells in a urban punk fantasy universe. Anyway, and also the art style similar. Also, you know, you know, they're very different games, and that one of them did very well. Wow. <laughs> no, like, wow. like, please, anyway, let's 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 talk about the book. Stress is the important thing here. Um, we wanted to have the idea that stress is bad. It is a sort of hovering, nondescript badness. And you can allocate it to different parts, but it has no concrete feedback until it manifests into fallout. Yep. It's it's a bit like having... Um, I suppose it's a bit like hit point damage, but if the more hit points the lost, you, like the more, the, the, the more fucked you were when eventually you take an injury. Yeah, I mean, the other way is to think of it as the amount of... Risk you're taking, yes, and yes. the amount of issues you've you've got yourself into, yeah, danger, yeah, and then when you when you when you check for fallout and when you mm-hmm. get fallout, some of the stress is cleared, mm-hmm. um, and then you get a concrete feedback of what that yeah that it stress manif- and it risk meant in the mechanics rather than just the fiction, yeah, 
Um, and that means that it also means that you can have um, we've got five stress tracks, which are blood, mind, silver, shadow, and reputation. Mm-hmm. Our reputation was the latest one we added when we decided that we didn't have any way to get embarrassed <laughs> in for social going. combat sections. Basically, yeah, and, and also like we, we were like, oh, we can't penalize people for fucking up socially. Plus, so we put in we I'd, put in rep. I'd like to point out one of my one of my playtesters has found a way to reputation tank. Is that is that the knight? Yeah, you can re- you you can make a knight who just takes all the hits to his reputation, which is quite interesting. Well, uh, one of the mid level knight powers is with my reputation, yeah. or or, the, or like bulletproof reputation. It just lets you allocate any stress to rep because you're t- you're you know what you're just too famous for that to happen. Yeah, <laughs> really like it's tremendously good fun. Um, and so with that, it means that whatever the fiction dictates, you can allocate stress to. So you don't have to say, um, like, in a fight, it doesn't all have to be stress against blood, which is our physical stress track. You've got mind stress because you um, because you do something horrific or you see something horrific. Yep. Or you've got mind stress because someone's fighting you and that's stressful. Uh, you've got re- reputation if you fuck up a role and your mates are watching. You've got shadow if you have a big brawl in a, um, in a public space. People and, remember your faces, etc. Yeah. We've tried to make all of these stresses equal in terms of the effect they have on the game. And like I think like generally you wind up using blood more often because people resort to violence. Yeah. Uh, and also because we've been quite careful to make almost no one good enough at fighting. <laughs> <laughs> so people are pretty good at fighting? Some people are pretty good at fighting, but crucially I think inspire no one's good enough. No. To just fight. And with the advances and, and stuff, you can build mm. yourself into fighting. Yeah, for sure. But it's generally better to try other things first. Like, can you buy the problem? Yes, can you Can you lie person? to the problem? Can you get your mate to go and do this? And that's always, that's always pleasing. Um, but stress then resolves into fallout. Uh, basically, you roll a d10 every time a character receives stress. And if it's under their total stress, uh, that manifests into fallout. Um, there is like there is another uh, there is a variant of doing stress which it's uh, on the stress on that particular resistance which is which is what Chris used for a while. Yep, I used that in one of my first playtests. Um, it's kinder. It's a lot kinder. Um, but I like I like really fucking people up. Yeah, the the brutal version uh, leads to more haphazard stories. Yeah, maybe haphazard isn't the right word, but. Swingy. Swingy stories. They... Well, actually, not swingy, sorry. Kicky. In that everything's <laughs> fine. And then, and, then, and, then, and then just someone kicks in the door and removes all your teeth. Yeah. Whereas the other version is a lot easier to track and mm. understand how hurt you are. So you, there's three different kinds of fallout. Minor, mm-hmm. moderate, and severe. Yeah. And minor fallout will be, as it quite rightly says, minor. Things like bleeding, panic... Mm-hmm. Um, but also, it's interesting that some of the fallout on reputation is things like lie. Whereas trying to justify your actions, you tell a lie that will cause a problem this or next session. And that's that's um, like it was a, it was a really deliberate action on our parts. One of the things which I really hate is the death spiral, which yes. is a um, which is a I'm going to say a zone in central London where you enter and your senses are over. What no. Um, it's a it's, it's a game design term where when you, when you take damage, uh, you get worse at things, so you're more likely to take damage. So you take more damage and get worse at things, then you die. And that's a really good way of of, of, of modelling what actually happens when you get hurt, but not doesn't make very interesting stories. Not so much on the fun front. So when we've got things like lie trying to justify your actions, you tell a lie that will cause a problem this on a, on next session. We're sort of Leaning in and saying and and, and and saying and we're scene framing mm. with that. We're giving them a suggestion because um, one of the problems which we've had, which which, which, I, which I, I often feel, is that players are unwilling to do things like back down from scenes when they fail social roles. Yeah, uh, they'll just keep pushing. They'll just keep going until they get because they're not used to having. Okay, you know what? This scene's done. There's no way you can get past that. You can just keep trying different things. Um, and so we wanted to have sort of like. To give you a role-playing prompt with all of these. And every fallout, we hope, pushes the story forwards rather than backwards. It moves it on, it adds a layer. Even things like um, Unconscious, which is a moderate blood fallout. 
you you fall unconscious and you fall unconscious for several hours during which time your enemies get an advantage. Yeah, so, so it so, moves the story on while you're asleep, essentially. Yeah, precisely. Um, and through and through that, we've tried to you know we've we've, we've tried to apply it to everything right up to the severe fallout at the end, which is like you now have a new character arc. Yeah, from that, and uh, whether that's dying or not. It, yeah, I mean, interestingly, <clears throat> there is no dead. No, there's fallout. dying. There's dying, mm-hmm. but no straight up dead. You're dying, choose. Do something useful before you die, or desperately try to cling to life and lose something vital. And which I, means that I which like means that, that you can Yeah. It's 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 like at this point we sort like we sort of go up into different into slightly different rules. Yes. Because because we feel it's important enough, it's not happening every single time. Um the first the first character death I ever had in um Inspire, it was the uh we were playing the Blood and Dust playtest. Um, the, uh, the 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 starter set you get when you back the Kickstarter, which you will have received if you're listening to this, I imagine. And Dacian, the uh, the the Lejan, the Moon Priest, Moon Priestess, um, she got um, she got shot and started bleeding out and took and took um, and, and dropped to dying basically on a balcony um, while uh, while the knight was being um, I think throttled by. <laughs> By retro engineer, and, my, and the, the player Paul was like, "Well, I'm, I'm going to do one last thing. I'm going to throw myself off the balcony and knock that guy off the knight, so the knight survives. And because uh, because you get to roll with mastery, I think she was rolling um, four dice and she got a one. <laughs> Basically, I think, I, or, or like, or like three was the highest number on her dice. And so, like, we we just had it. We had it happen out of focus." In the in the this guy strangling the knight, and then just behind him, Dacian falls from the balcony and breaks her neck. <laughs> and, it's like, and also, like uh, she had a she had a spell which 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 she was running, which gave everyone uh, walkie talkies, basically magic walkie talkies, uh, like a mind link. And everyone just heard her neck breaking, and then the radios died. Oh, and it was like it was a really and like even though it was really sad, and it was kind of funny, and then kind of sad again. Mm. Even though like it wasn't that defiant last act, but I'll remember that far more than a defiant last act where she did really well and did awesome. But it was like this is really important to me. I think one of the, like one of the things which I wanted to put into Spire and what, which I want to put into every game is allowing players to say this is important to me and yeah. give it give them spotlight time. Yeah, that, give them attention. That, give them that feedback. was crucial when we were writing all of the rules, all of the setting. Yeah. Showing off what a player can do and how you can make something your moment. Yeah, and like, and as you get into the severe um, fallout, you've got some some weird ones. For example, like um, turned yes. means that means that you are now working for the enemy, and hopefully, like you've been like you've been because this is severe fallout. It isn't going to happen as a sudden thing, which like you're not just going to walk down the street and suddenly, oh, you know what? I'm going to work for the Crimson Vigil. It. It, it will grow hopefully over the course of at least a session, and you can flash back and do explanations and things like that. But the fact that you can lose enough money that your character gets into debt and then they turn against the ministry, and I think it, 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 it comes from uh, which uh, a style of role playing which Chris and I espouse, which is tell us what's happening and then we'll rationalise it with our characters rather than look at the characters and rationalise the events. Yeah. Sure. That's much more interesting. Uh, we can also talk briefly about Bond Fallout. Yeah, so quick rundown of what a Bond is. Yeah. A Bond is an NPC individual faction. There's various levels, and we'll talk about <laughs> Bonds again later. Um, but Bonds can suffer their own form of Fallout as you yeah. push them and as you use people as things. Yeah, as, as you get them to do things. They roll just like a character. Yeah, basically, and so and, they can but, suffer. But they increase stress. Yeah, um, and that goes all the way from there's blowback onto you, like mistake. Your bonds actions raise suspicion, so you take you start taking shadow, mm-hmm. as maybe they you know spilled the beans on something, mm. or or like or, or just like rather than spilling the beans, it's like why is that guy poking around there? Yeah, and the police get interested. Um, all think, the way up to all the way up to things like betrayal, where mm-hmm. your bond has turned against you. Mm-hmm. And they won't tell you until it's too late. 
and that's 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 very pleasing to have that sort of happen. And it's and like it's always the player's fault. If if you ignore the bond, it will not hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't try and use it, so that's that, that that's that's quite pleasing. Um, and again, again, like we've tried to have those push forward stories. We've, we've we've tried to make we've the most rules we have in the game because like we've like the rules chapter is about seven pages long. Yep, very short. But it's we wanted to have rules which make the masochistic experience of wanting to get fucked up and that's interesting and rewarding and fun. Players players <laughs> drive themselves to get messed up in oh this game. Oh my days, yeah, it's so much fun, isn't it? Yeah, they will they will jump off bridges, they will do whatever they need to do yeah. to start taking stress and fall out. Yeah, uh, and it's like, I think as long as as long as you make it, because like, no one's really eager to take hit point damage in, in um, D&D. Yeah. But if you can get games where they give you Feedback and they give you attention. They give you um, output from that input. People do. People take damage. People jump off bridges. People will um, sell out their friends. Yeah, it all happens. It's great. Um, and that is the rules chapter. So I'm going to put in a little break here. Okay. Welcome back. Welcome to Skills and Domains. Chris, which do you prefer, Skills or Domains? Domains. I like Domains too. But let's talk about domains. Skills first. Alright. We we have had the idea of characters like knocking around for a while. Um, one of the first drafts I had, it had um, your characters as a... It was more of a skill package you got. Yeah. And so... And like so, like, like it, the old kits. Yeah, so like if you were a knight, you got uh, the fight skill, you got the uh, crime domain, that sort of thing. Um, but that didn't quite, they didn't quite work. Um, and like I think like we had like rather than having class powers, we had skill powers. Mm-hmm. So you had like uh, different powers you could buy from compel, as it were. And again, like we were taking these, like they were pretty close to the. Um, the once per, uh, once possession once per once per situation powers which we have in the classes, but they were very much around scene framing and you know spotlight time. But we scrapped those and had it more class based because that seemed better. Yeah, it definitely felt better when we started testing it um, out. Yeah, and I really like classes, and I think it helps to have something which you can latch onto and save. Like rather rather than buying three backgrounds, um, like I appreciate it does it, it offers it offers a lack of of let's say verisimilitude. It encourages people to at least possibly skew towards stereotypes in that all knights go in a certain way, you know? And and that's, that's the thing. Once you're aware of those stereotypes, then you can skew away from them. But it means once, like, in your first game, you end up you end up playing with a group of people who are very... You end up playing with a group of characters who are very stereotypical. Yeah, I mean, it, it increases accessibility, if nothing else. It, that's the other thing. It increases accessibility and means that you can say, I understand this character class, I want to plug into the world in this way, rather than ending up with, say, the World of Darkness issue, which you have, in that it's very hard to determine, like, in Team Fortress 2 terms, you know a character's silhouette? Yeah. So, like, if if you catch um, Team Fortress 2 as a PC game... Um, it is. It's it's ancient now. Actually. Well, it's, it's it's pretty old now, uh, and it's um it's a bit it's, it's a bit like your Overwatches, you know your um your paladins, and the character design is absolutely perfect in that you can tell who you're you can tell who who who, who which 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 type of character you're facing in a split second. Uh, no matter before they added all the extra yeah, stuff. and you've got hats and shit, you know whatever. But the, but the body shapes of each character is are very different, and I like yeah. that. Um, the the thing about um, character classes in in the Dungeons and Dragons, for example, is they give you this very clean, crisp silhouette, so you can understand what's going on. So like we like, so we have a cleric, and like I know that clerics can be of any one of a hundred gods, but. You've got an idea of what a cleric looks you know like, and then yeah, yeah, and then you can play with and invert that. And similarly, um, in uh, sorry, in, in World of Darkness, you don't have that. You build your character from the ground up by choosing skills and backgrounds and abilities and that sort of thing. And it means that everyone ends up quite vague. Yeah, and it's it's very difficult <clears throat> when you're trying to answer that question of so what do you do? Yeah, what like what's your what's your niche? And like I think that that's that's not how that's not how real life works. And it's also not how a lot of stories work. Yeah. But I, re- I think I think fate has quite a good 
um, middle ground between those things in, in like in like establishing your own thing, but having enough um, rules to fall back on. You can understand what what, what they're doing. Yeah. However, we um, that we'll we'll talk about the classes at great length later on. In in individual. <clears throat> little sections um we we had um skills domains used to be called knowledges and it was more like uh, skills is what you do and domains is uh, and knowledge is what you know but i think um we we eventually filed them down so you could always combine one from both yes and it ties a little bit into changes we made with the characters yeah um in that the characters originally started as being from a specific place yeah, some of them still are. Some of them still are, but they, they mm. all were about location rather mm. than anything else. Mm. Um, and we actually kind of stripped that out of the characters in a lot of cases mm. and moved that towards domains. Yeah. Um, so skills are, if you've read a role-playing game before, you know what skills are. Yeah. Um, we tried to boil down everything you could do. Like, and that's the thing, Like, um, we wanted to have quite a light skill list. I yes, think like yeah, uh, we did not want an encyclopedic skill list. One of the things which I find quite boring is having, say, different skills for different weapons. Mm. Um, like I'd much rather have a fight skill uh, which lets you do all the fighting. Um, I think we, I think we used to have, um, we used to have black bag as a skill, didn't we? Yep. Uh, which we cut because it didn't quite work. But black bag, it was one of my favourite skills. It was, it was dirty fighting basically. So it was like assassination. Um, stabbing one guy when he doesn't know you're there as opposed to fight, which is like leading a group of people in a, in, in a brawl or taking part in open warfare. Um, and eventually we, eventually like black bag was so niche and so like difficult to work out where, where it slotted in that we just rolled it into fight. Yeah. And I think the thing that I'm most proud of with the, with the skills is how you can use different ones in different situations. Yeah, that's fun. Um, for instance, you've got fight, which is open combat, mm-hmm. doing stuff. But as a DM, I'd allow you to roll your sneak if mm. that person is going to be completely unaware and you're just doing an assassination. Yeah, I think I think a lot of that comes from um, so one of the games which which has inspired me as a, as a designer for many years is Wushu, mm. and it was the it was the first game I ran for Chris um, many many moons ago. It was the first game I ran. The first game was the first game I ran as an adult was me and Chris uh, in Chris's room doing a one on one game of Wushu. We're, a, a situation, yeah, intimate, an intimate situation. I never wish to repeat. Not, <laughs> not because I don't like you, but because it's just really weird, yep. like pre- pretending to be someone else for long enough. But we had a good time. Um, the uh, wushu, just like you, just pick the most suitable skill for what you're doing and roll some dice. And the skills are just names on fic- on, on fictional things that you that you attempt, and they're entirely open ended. So having having sneak. Um, as like it, the difficult part is not stabbing someone when they're asleep. The difficult part is sneaking in. Yes. Um, or let, let's say, for example, um, if you need to climb up a uh, a tower of silence at midday to get into the um, like to chase someone, the difficult part is not the pursue check; it's the resist check because you're because you're enduring the sunlight. Yeah, and it's it lets about pick, it's about picking what what is key to the scene. Yeah. And it also it lets people play to their strengths um, by negotiating that with the GM. But they're all pretty much self-explanatory. There's nothing hugely exciting or novel there. Um, I think pursue is an interesting one because it involves running away and running towards, but not athletics, as it were. Yeah, like, it's, not, it's not climbing. It's not. Yeah. Oh, there is a there is a wall here. I wish to climb over it. That's yeah, we we don't have we don't have a climbing skill. No. Um, we have pursue and sneak. And you can use, so I suppose, pursue, sneak, and steal. And which, like, we wanted to have these as, as like, we wanted to have the ends in mind because athletics is not really its own reward. No, it's it's rare you just do an athletics check for the sake of athletics. You're trying to get in somewhere. You're trying to overcome an obstacle. You're trying to run away from someone or outpace someone. And I think we wanted to have it in more of a you are acting upon someone or upon something. And that was more interesting to us. Now domains are a bit more exciting. What are domains, Christopher? A bit more involved. So a domain is an area of the city or a contact you might have. Or, or a, uh, I suppose like a culture or a knowledge base. Yeah. Um, so, for instance, uh, the academia. Mm. Just take the first one, uh, domain. Uh, that gives you an extra dice when you're dealing with academics mm. or when you're in a district that is academic. Mm-hmm. 
because you know how to talk to academics, you know the layout of universities. Mm. It's that kind of um, learned learned knowledge from familiarity. And these, and that, this, this is kind of this is kind of weird. I will say, like d- domains are a, a kind of a they're a they're a story game element more yeah. much more than skills are um, because it doesn't make a lot of sense that if you are like you can spend your entire life in universities in 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 real world terms you wouldn't be you wouldn't be any better at fighting someone if they were say a bursa or, <laughs> or or if it happened in a library but we wanted more to have it as a spotlight time so like if you've got the domain if you've got the academia domain then everything you do around that is slightly more likely to succeed so your character has that niche yeah um I also have a quick question for you. It says um, it has the phrase "practical etherics" in the uh, academia paragraph. What is practical etherics, Chris? Because I wrote that and I don't know. <laughs> we we make up a lot of pseudoscience. <laughs> is what that is. I used the word galvanic for a very long time without realizing what it meant. Yeah, I had to, I had to, to make you Google that. <laughs> So it had to make me Google it. Like, I think I think it was about two weeks in of me using it. You were like, actually, Grant, I don't know what that means. Shall we look it up? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what? Were we using this correctly? Oh, turns it out is, no. It is chemical electricity. Yeah. Um, so, but it's a lovely word, galvanic. It is. Uh, but, and, yeah, uh, as, going back to what you are saying about yeah. um, <clears throat> spotlight time, it's, mm. it's nice to have that thing of, oh, I know about technology. Yeah. I don't have any relevant skills here. I can't fix technology, but I still know about technology. I've lived near it. Yeah, and so you can have a bash. You at can it. have a bash. Yeah, I, I, I think like um, things like high society is a really lovely skill to have because the mask, can, the mask can feel quite. The mask is a uh, is a is a high society, like a a, a servant class, um, and we wanted to have them as sort of quiet social as opposed to loud social they're not brash they're subtle they manipulate rather than impress um and it's really nice having the capacity so so like once the like the majority of a campaign will take place out of high society uh depending on where you're setting it but most of the areas you know um the, the people you're fighting exist in high society you exist in low society and so the master can feel quite underpowered until you walk through the front door of a mansion at which point like they're they're at least doubling their chances of success at everything they do yeah and it kind of covers, it's a really nice vague way of covering, well, not vague, um, broad way of saying, this is, like, this is what I do. This, this, this is my time to shine. This is who I am. Yeah, and I like those. Um, the last thing, so this is a very short chapter, uh, the last thing we have is Knacks, uh, which is a fairly late addition to the game. Yeah, but I think, I think they are quite a bit. Uh, um, because Partly because we found halfway through that you could actually generate multiple skills yeah i have a place to use them yeah multiple sorry multiple of the same skills um, so when you gain a gain a skill domain a second time you get a specific knack mm-hmm. with it which can give you an extra dice and these are uh specializations from all the darkness basically we've just filed the serial numbers off yeah it's just a, it's just it, it's a skill but finer finer yeah. detail and uh it's, it's fairly rare to get knacks actually yeah um, it doesn't crop up a lot um but when it does it's it's a nice thing for you, like again with that spotlight time. Yeah, and I, th- I think it's quite nice in a way to sort of um, explore your character in a further way to say, oh, you know what, I'm I'm good at disguise. Oh, I'm really good at pr- uh, at Prakatikos technology. Yeah, and so it just it like in a way it, it lets you say it lets you signal to the GM this is important to me. This is something I want the campaign yeah. to talk about at some point at least. Yeah. Um, and that's it as far as skills and, and, and domains go. Uh, we wanted to keep them pretty pretty broad, um, so you just, so like so you're never really sure as to like you're never unsure as to which one to pick. Yeah, you just pick whichever one makes the most sense to you. Yeah. Also, we don't have levels like in skills or like points. No, nope. it's, um, it's binary. You either have it or you don't. You either have it or you don't, and you can get a knack in it. But yeah. Um, next up, equipment. Mm. The Spire Director's Commentary Podcast is a companion to the Spire RPG and features Grant Howitt and Chris Taylor. The music is by Arokia, hosted on freesound.org and used under the Creative Commons license. To learn more about Spire, explore related products, or buy your own copy, go to rowanrookanddeckard.com.